0: Judas could still taste the bitter wine on his lips. He stormed into the night after the Passover meal. He brushes past both servants. The master of the house, glowing joyously at a successful dinner, smiles at him. He refuses to acknowledge the man. He stumbles out into the street. Passersby guess at the amount of wine he had during the feast. A group of men chuckle at this poor, witless soul. While One woman hurries by, hugging the wall, fearing this mad drunk man. Judas ignores them all. Their thoughts matter little. Nothing matters at all. He has set his course and has no choice but to follow it. The man infuriates him. Rabbi, how dare the others bestow that title on him. Anger seared his heart. The bitterness that seasoned his soul for the last year, was it more, had finally burst forth into glowing molten hatred. A blacksmith strikes while his metal is hot, an artisan crafting weapons out of a painful He washed my feet, an insult. He thinks he can show humility now, and what did he mean by the bread and the wine? Are we to eat his body and drink his blood? I don't want to remember him." Judas paused. He almost wretched the meal up. He had made his decision. Why had I not done this sooner, he said into the night. Its ambiguous silence infuriated him more. His steps slowly steadied, his back straightened. His purpose shocked pride through his muscles. Two men walking towards Judas paused and let him pass. They knew how dangerous a determined man could be. Judas knew his destination. The chief priests were meeting. He would tell them where the rabbi and his followers would be tonight. They would take it from there. Welcome to Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible, one piece at a time. My name is Keith. And I'm Ryan. Today's story is about the moment things
1: start going poorly for Peter.
0: Peter steps out into the night. Rabbi and John follow close behind him. Dinner ended on the strange note of bread and wine, mysteries yet impenetrable. They walk towards the garden they usually visit while in the city, Gethsemane, the oil press. Lush olive trees line the hillside that begin the Mount of Olives. The neatly kept paths comfort Peter. He pauses and looks back at his friends. The rabbi walks uncustomarily slowly, with a pained, tired look on his face. Peter had not seen such a look before. Anger, tears, laughter, these he had seen, but not weariness. An invisible weight sloped the normally strong shoulders. His sandals scraped the ground as he walked. Peter wants to reach out, share in the burden. Whatever was causing this man to labor, he wanted in. Peter, John, James, walk with me. Peter's heart lightens when he hears this request. A chance to get away from the less qualified followers. The air hangs heavy on Peter's eyes. He tastes the thickness on his skin and hair, a note of sorrow and strange anticipation. Peter cannot quite explain why he feels this way, but a look at the brothers confirms that they sense it too. Their eyes are tired, closing slowly and snapping open. The three of them are used to late nights and early mornings on the sea, fishing. They know exhaustion with familiar comfort. But not tonight. Tonight, sleep greets them. And entices them into its tantalizing arms, wrapping them in the dark and quiet of the garden.
1: Sometimes we make the mistake of assuming the disciples were spiritual giants by this point, but it just isn't true. They've only been traveling with the rabbi for three years. All of this is still very new to them. And sure, they have some bright moments along the way, but those are few and far between. Most of the time, it seems their heads are spinning as they try to process this whole adventure. This garden scene proves that point well.
0: Stay here while I go and pray. Rabbi then walks off a distance down a small rugged path at the edge of the garden. This was a strange request. The other eight men had already been asked to keep watch. Their task then seemed redundant. Rabbi insisted on it, however, so Peter, James, and John fell to it with usual bewilderment. Peter cannot shake the strange feeling that began at dinner while Rabbi washed their feet. Something will happen tonight. Peter wishes Rabbi would confide in him, let him know the plan. That is not his privilege tonight, however. He has been asked to keep watch. For what? Again, not his to know. Stay awake. Stay alert. Peter stares out into the darkness. The faint outline of trees in the orchard cast dark shadows among the moonlit paths. Peter's eyes strain against the combined strength of fear, sleep, and uncertainty. He blinks heavily to try to clear his mind. Stay awake, stay alert. He can't let the rabbi down, again. But the blinks come more frequently. He tries to pray. He's never been good at this, his mind often racing to the next task or thought. Out in the darkness, there is no sign of rabbi anywhere. The blinks have reversed, his eyes now open only occasionally. So you could not watch with me for one hour? Peter snaps awake with a deep, rapid intake of breath. Peter had fallen asleep against the trunk of an olive tree, his back strained and moaned as he struggled to stand. Above him, Rabbi looks down on him with a mixture of disappointment and amusement, as if he knew Peter wouldn't be able to stay awake or alert. Peter noted something else in Rabbi's look. More was weighing on him than he was willing to tell Peter and the brothers. Rabbi staggered off again. Peter determined to stay awake, began making a loop through the trees, circling and looking for anything suspicious. The time in the garden reminded Peter of another time he and the brothers went off with Jesus. The sand and rocks beneath their feet crackled as they made their way up the mountain. They had been climbing all day. The sun dimmed behind the ridge, shooting brilliant color to clash with the impending darkening sky. James and John walked to Peter's right. They had been taking turns looking over at Peter for the past hour. They looked for answers. Peter avoided their eyes. He had no more idea what was going on than they. A pulse of light ahead. The three men shielded their eyes against the sudden change in brightness. The shadowed sky flashes white, blinding them. As their eyes adjust, Rabbi begins to change. His cloak, dusty and torn from their travels, turned white. But radiates gold and silver translucent and transcendent all at once his face glows peter can barely look at it two men appear on either side of jesus peter knows them but not by sight their presence loomed in the back of every young israelites childhood moses elijah peter rushes towards them he must act he motions for the brothers to follow rabbis it's good you are here let us build Peter's impulsive words are cut short. A cloud, impossibly brighter than the whole sky and scene appears. A voice, the very embodiment of thunder, shakes the world. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him.
1: First of all, I love how Peter tries to make this whole thing about himself. Even in the presence of God the Father, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, Peter tries to take matters into his own hands. That's our guy, always auditioning, always trying to prove himself. I love it because I get it. But anyways, talk about a powerhouse of a conversation. So so what do Jesus, Elijah, and Moses have to talk about? Luke tells us. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Did you catch that? It's easy for us to miss today, but would have been crystal clear to early readers. The Greek word for departure is exodos. Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah about his Exodus, the true Exodus, the one the rest of scripture is pointing towards. The one that paves a way for the children of God to escape slavery and learn what it means to be free. Moses and Elijah are there, having this conversation with Jesus, excited to be heading towards the climax of this much larger story. A story, by the way, that they both played significant roles in. Now, is Peter putting all these pieces together on the night of the Passover? Maybe, I I mean, at least in part, but what we can see very clearly in hindsight is that every piece of Jesus's story has been intentional. And it's all been for one very specific reason, to pave the way for a mass exodus where God's people leave slavery and begin the long journey of learning what it means to be free.
0: Peter comes to consciousness again. He realizes with terror that he has fallen asleep. Again. He cannot keep himself awake. Three times he's willed his eyes open, and three times they've defiantly closed. He shifts his weight closer to Rabbi, signaling his readiness. Rabbi doesn't notice. He's not looking at Peter. His voice has taken on a quality of sorrow and determination. Whatever they were in the garden for, whatever the preparation, it is over. Their wait is done. Peter and Rabbi look at each other now, wariness, a stone pushed to the peak of a mountain, and relief. It falls slowly and builds a mountain as it careens down the other side. The hour has come. Noises enter the edges of the garden, Peter tracks its movement through the trees, angry voices murmuring, then shouting, dull metallic clanking turns into the distinct ting and clatter of the temple's guards, armor, and swords. Peter realizes that a large crowd is rapidly making its way towards them. He turns to the noise, heart shrinking in his chest.
1: While it isn't the crew's first time with their backs against the wall, it's never quite been this bad before. Jesus is great at talking his way out of these types of situations, but this time around, there isn't a great crowd of people he can win over. They're alone in the middle of the night, and it's not like they have iPhones to record everything. Whoever this angry mob is can get away with doing whatever they want, and nobody ever
0: has to know. Peter knew what the crowd meant. He and the others had been on the run with the rabbi before, more frequently than any expected in those first few days after they were called. All week, they had been spending their nights in the outskirts of the city, staying cautious and wary. They didn't need to worry during the daylight. Rabbi was usually surrounded by too many people for the authorities to do anything to him then. That's why the crowds always thrilled and terrified Peter, especially in the later months of their time together. With the cover of night, crowds were infinitely more dangerous. Crowds at night meant those in the day would be swayed. If they took him now, by daybreak, all of the people who had spent time listening to the rabbi would have turned against him more seemed to be coming through the trees impossibly more peter recognized many of them servants and underlings of the high priest caiaphas they hesitated to make their move congregating nervously slowly forming a crescent around peter and rabbi movement from the back a man pushes his way towards the front of the crowd as he breaches the wall of humanity peter feels the whole scene freeze It can't be. Judas. Anger sears through Peter. He mutters under his breath. After all they've been through together, how can he do this? After all they've experienced, he is behind the end? Peter never expected anyone from the Twelve would actually hand Rabbi over to his enemies, despite what was said at dinner. Peter felt his fingernails dig into his palm. Judas moves with inhuman precision. Peter has seen this look many times on the road in men and women possessed. A mixture of agony and glee, but he can't make eye contact with Rabbi. And surprisingly, Rabbi doesn't look at Judas. Greetings, Rabbi. Judas leans forward to kiss his teacher on the cheek. Peter restrains himself. A kiss? A kiss? A veneer of honor and respect, coating death and ridicule. The sheer insolence of the act. Yet, Peter can see the true Judas underneath. Judas' hands shake as he reaches towards Rabbi. He fears what Rabbi is capable of. Friend, Rabbi says wearily, do what you came to do. A murmur shoots through the crowd. The trees whisper in response. Judas looks at him in disbelief. He turns and looks uncertainly at the men behind him. They had expected a fight, a lesson, at least a parable, some resistance. He backs away from Rabbi. The crowd advances. It hits Peter. The kiss was the sign. The men didn't even know what Rabbi looked like. The crowd rushes towards them. Peter closes his eyes. This can't be happening.
1: Peter's mind must be racing at this point. Everything's backwards. This isn't how the Exodus story goes. In the story, God uses Moses to break the people out of slavery and bring them into freedom. On this Passover night, we're supposed to begin the true exodus. So let's overthrow Rome. Let's reestablish God's chosen people in God's chosen land. Do you see the dilemma here? Jesus entered into a world where everyone was on the edge of their seat waiting for the chosen one to come save them out from under Roman rule. That's why a few days earlier, when Jesus rode into town, the people cried, Hosanna, save us. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is the moment. Everything you've been working towards, time to take back the power, and then you watch the rabbi give himself up? What? No, that's not it at all. The good guys are losing. The hero is being killed. What was up with all that Exodus talk? Jesus, so much for your Passover pump up speech. This is the great mystery of the gospel. There is a deeper magic to this story. Sure, Jesus could have stopped the attack. In fact, he tells us he could send for legions of angels to intervene and save himself a whole lot of trouble. But saving himself isn't the goal. It's never been the goal. That's the wrong game. That's not why Jesus came to earth. He came to redefine what it means to be great. He came to show us a new way to be human. Where you can actually combat the evil in this world without beating your chest. He's been saying it all along. If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. The way up is down. The way forward is humility. This is the message of the table. It's one thing for Jesus to make a speech. It's another for him to give an example. But this This is what the table is all about. Jesus just put his money where his mouth is. With immense humility and abundant generosity, Jesus gives himself up into what will become the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. But Peter doesn't get that yet. And to be fair, I probably wouldn't either. So here's his response.
0: Peter opens his eyes. The crowd is upon them, the most fierce surround rabbi. One of them grabs Peter's arm. Peter snaps out of his detachment. He lunges towards the man's sword. He grabs it with ease. Peter is just as shocked as the guard. He stares at the sword in his hand. He hadn't expected it to work. He spins with improbable fluidity and arcs the blade towards the man. Peter hears the thud of the ear before he sees it. The guard's still too stunned to register what was happening. Then the man's eyes widen. As he sinks to his knees, his hands come up to the gaping wound on the side of his head. No one moves. James and John inch their way towards Mount Olive. The other disciples, already a little distant, gather themselves. Peter has no choice. He steadies himself, raising the sword, flexing his fingers around the handle. The other guards look uneasily to Caiaphas. No one wanted bloodshed but Peter had made that choice already too. The crowd erupts in discord. Accusation echo off the surrounding hills. Swords drawn from the sheaths ring in unearthly high pitches. No more of this. Rabbi's voice breaks through, clear, authoritative. He moves gently and as suddenly as it all began, it ends. He glances at Peter, telling him to lower his weapon. The words fall unnecessarily on Peter The look had been enough. The sword shakes as he lowers it. What had he done? Jesus walks over to the kneeling man. He cups the man's face on the side of the missing ear and looks at him with all the love he had shown Peter over the three years. Smiling, he rises to his feet, the man still staring at Jesus. As he takes his hand from the guard's face, murmurs ripple through the crowd. The pain that grotesquely distorted the man's face disappeared. He feels his newly healed ear with wonder. He looks with gratitude towards the rabbi. Rabbi just simply nods back.
1: Please don't miss the imagery here. James, one of Jesus's brothers would later write that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Peter could have used that verse right about now. Instead, he's slow to listen and quick to become angry, attacking some guy who is just trying to do his job, cutting off his ear. Surely John has a reason for including the detail of the ear in his gospel. Perhaps it's to show us what happens when we don't listen, when we attack people instead of issues, when we try to settle things with violence instead of conversation. It's a natural human reaction. It's just not very helpful. Now, Jesus was no stranger to confrontation. He was faced with it all the time, but he handles it a little differently than Peter. He chooses to double down, loving the very man who is bringing him to his death. He uses hate as an opportunity to love. And I think it's fair to point out that someone is much more likely to listen to you if you give them their ear back instead of chopping it off.
0: Each man stands frozen mid-move. A whole tableau of statues circle the rabbi and the newly healed guard. Rabbi stands and begins to stroll towards the heart of the crowd. He looks each man in the eye. They cannot meet his gaze. Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching. And yet, you did not seize me. Rabbi often states the obvious. Peter realizes that he is forcing the men to consider the actions they are about to take, confronting them with gentle words and kind gestures. Hope comes back to Peter. Rabbi does this, and then usually he and his followers escape. The rabbi stops and takes a breath. Peter does too. All of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Terror fills Peter. The guards stay frozen. Caiaphas smiles. Rabbi is going to give himself up. Peter knows what this means. If the leader is taken so violently and with such power, the followers will be given less quarter. Peter was willing to fight when he believed Jesus was willing as well. But now? Peter thinks over the past three years, where did I go wrong? Why is he abandoning us, me, when we need him most? It must be my fault, Peter thinks. Peter doesn't know what to do now. The cold night embraces him. Opaque terror pulses through him. He does the only thing he knows. He runs.
1: And so on this Passover night, the Lamb is heading to the altar where he will be sacrificed. The new exodus is about to begin. This time, it's for the entire world. And the enemy isn't Pharaoh, the enemy isn't Rome, the enemy isn't Islam or a certain political party. The enemy is the enemy, the one whispering in your ear, telling you to make this life about you, to fight hate with more hate instead of with love, to divide instead of unite. This new exodus, like the last, is a long process of learning what it means to be free and no longer slaves learning what life looks like at the table. And what Peter does not yet understand as he runs through the forest is that his journey has already begun. In fact, he's right on the brink of the greatest breakthrough of his life. But it doesn't feel that way. Of course not. It never does right in the middle of the storm, especially since it is about to get worse before it gets better. Much worse. Next time on Stories in
0: Scripture. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. You can learn more about this project at storiesinscripture.com, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at s i s project.